right, well, good morning. We are going to continue in worship, and uh, I'm really excited to uh, have the privilege of introducing, excuse me, introducing Darren Pesnell, who I met about 10 minutes ago. Actually, no, we're really excited about this. One of the values here at GVF is that we would be a church that partners with other like-minded churches in the Phoenixville area. We are not a church that is in competition with other churches. Um, that's not what this church is about. That's not what Scripture tells us. That's not what God's kingdom is about. Uh, we want to partner with other churches and w- so that we can see the gospel go out into Phoenixville and ultimately into the world. Uh, we're not interested in building GVF just for the sake of GVF. We want to see God's kingdom built up. And so as I've gotten to hear a little bit about Ironworks, this is a church that we're excited to partner with. And uh, we're excited to have Darren here this morning to, uh, to speak with us. And Paul is over at Ironworks. And uh, we think we'll probably get him back next week. But we'll find out. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Darren. Uh, he is a church planter, and uh, which means he is a guy who has faith. I'll tell you that right now. And um, so he's a church planter, and he's also the, uh, the head pastor at Ironworks Church right here in Phoenixville. He's originally from New Jersey, uh, but he is now here and has been here since 2008 with his wife Chrissy and their four children who are adorable. He is a multi-talented guy. He is a network architect who worked for several big firms up on Wall Street and other places. Uh, he is a musician. He is a pastor. He's a church planter. The guy can do everything, and he's tall, and I appreciate that as a short person. Um, so I'm excited here, Darren. I hope you guys will just—man, uh, this is a great time just to open up God's Word with him and, uh, and see what God has to say for us. So, Darren, so glad you're here. Thank you. All right. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, allow me to invite you to turn in your bulletin, where we have the scripture printed for you. Be reading Jonah chapter two in its entirety uh, from the ESV. This is God's word. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, "I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and He answered me." Out of the belly of shale I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight, yet I shall look, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the root of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, as we consider these words, as we uh, allow ourselves to stand under them, to sit under them, uh, I recognize as we approach this time that uh, we are no doubt a a diverse group of people who have gathered here. Some of us come here and we are full of faith. Lord, some of us come here and we've been walking with you, we've been seeking you, and 
we have approached this morning as another opportunity to do just that, to hear from you, to allow ourselves to be changed by you. But Lord, others of us come here and frankly, we're full of doubt. And this story in particular, we wonder if it's true. Uh, It seems so outrageous. Uh, We wonder if you're real and we wonder if you are real, whether you've spoken and if you have spoken, whether you have anything at all to say to us. Lord, others of us come here and Uh, Frankly, our lives are such a mess uh, that it's all we can do to sit here this morning quietly, and it's very difficult even to pay attention. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that every single one of us in this room is truly the same. We all sit here, no matter our place, with a deep and a profound need for you and to hear from you. And Lord, my prayer is simply that you would answer that need this morning. And so I pray, therefore, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you so much for having me. Again, my name is Darren Pesnell, a relatively new pastor up on the north side. We bring you greetings from the north side of Phoenixville. Wonderful uh, neighborhood in our beloved borough. And uh, I actually first visited Grace Valley I believe it was 2010, I was interning at a church up in Malvern, and we had one of these snowstorms that closed all the churches. (laughs) They were meeting at the uh, Great Valley Middle School, and as you may may have found out, maybe you will, you know, the schools are very particular about closing their lots under snow conditions. So that church wasn't meeting, and we said, oh no, where are we going to go to church? And Grace Valley was meeting over at the conference center, and we had a great time. Uh, visiting with you back then. I've since then really enjoyed my relationship with Pastor Paul. Uh, He's a fellow who came to town, uh, asked to meet with me, and since we connected outside of Artisans, I've really appreciated him. Uh, I've admired his theological rigor. I've admired his leadership. Uh, And as my wife said, he's someone that when he walks in the room, you think, I should listen to this man. And uh, we're really thankful for your uh, participation in Pumpkin Fest. So my wife is actually heading that up from Ironworks, and um, there's a fellow in our church who's really not given to the sin of exaggeration. You know, some of us exaggerate all the time. This fellow is not his issue. He's got other issues, does not have this one. And he comes up to me, and he says, you know, I'm hearing about this pumpkin thing, and it actually sounds like it's going to be pretty epic. (laughs) So (laughs) where is he? Christy comes home every day and says, guess what just happened? I just got both mayoral candidates to compete against each other in the pumpkin race. So now we are entering the realm of politics. So we'll see how that goes. But we're really excited, and um, Christy's working very hard, and when she puts her mind to something, it's uh, usually pretty epic. So really excited for your participation, and uh, we're looking forward to that very much. Well, uh, I bring you a sermon from the Ironwork Summer Sermon Series from the book of Jonah. Uh, We're in chapter 2, and no doubt many or all of you are familiar with the story of Jonah. Just a little bit of background on it. Jonah stands out uh, amongst the prophetic literature of the Old Testament as being a bit unique. You see, uh, Jonah, unlike other books of prophetic literature, does not really center in on the prophetic message itself, does it? In fact, the prophetic message of Jonah can be summarized in in one statement. God will overthrow Nineveh in 40 days. It's the entirety of Jonah's sermon. Uh, But instead, the book of Jonah focuses in on this struggle between God's prophet, the man whom God has raised up, who has taken on a journey, 
who has equipped to do great things. And by the way, Jonah is mentioned actually in the book of Second Kings as being a, a prophet that was spoken of favorably. And what I've uh, noted and brought out uh, when we looked at chapter 1 is that to understand Jonah, you have to see that Jonah is a man who has been there with God. He's a man who's walked faithfully with God. He's not a new Christian. He's not even a new kind of minister or or prophet holding that office. He's someone who's been at this for some time. And when you read the book of Jonah, what's inescapable that comes out very quickly is that Jonah is to a very significant extent the story of a man who had walked with God, who had known him, who had been fruitful in God's ministry, and who ran away as far as he knew how. And that day, Jonah would have been in the land now known as Israel or Palestine, and he attempted to go to Spain when God told him to go to Nineveh, which would have been in the opposite direction. And friends, as I thought about that, it actually brought me a great deal of encouragement because what this book is saying to you this morning is that no matter how how long you've walked with God, no matter how many sermons you've preached, no matter how many acts of ministry or missions trips you've gone on, you are never too old to be on the run from your God, are you? You know, some of you, as we sit here this morning, some of you probably are on the run from God in some way, and you know it. God's told you uh, through Scripture something that you need to be doing, and you've been saying, God, no thanks, not interested in that. And as you sit here this morning, and as we bring this book, what I want to notice just firsthand is that you are not alone in this phenomenon. That if you sit here this morning and you're on the run from God, maybe you've been on the run for a decade, and this is your first time back in church, and you're just going to give it a chance. What Jonah wants to say to you, and what it would have said to his contemporaries at the time, is that you are not alone in that phenomenon. That as you read through the pages of Scripture, as you read through the lives of Moses and David, as you look at uh, the Apostle Peter, even as you look at Paul himself, you notice uh, that it is there's this phenomenon in Scripture that even after we've walked with God, that at times we can run away from Him. And that's where Jonah finds himself. He uh, had been asked by God to go to a place called Nineveh that would have been in the easterly direction, journey by land. Instead, he goes and he finds a boat heading to Spain, Tarshish it's called. And he gets on the boat, and he's there with a number of sailors who have never even, as far as we know, heard of the God of Israel. You know, they are no doubt pagan in their worship. Uh, They're heading out towards Spain, and the water gets so rough that these no doubt experienced captains, if you look at at this on a map, you can see that this would have been about probably one of the longest journeys that existed by sea at that time, right? So if you were a captain of a boat making this journey, you would have had to be very experienced. And if you've ever traveled on an airplane, you know that the captains have this voice, And I've wondered if they go to school to learn how to talk like this, right? It's always the same kind of like timbre and tone. It's, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. This is your captain speaking. We're going to hit a little bit of bumps in the road. So just buckle up and sit back. And I thought about, you know, how would you feel if you're on an airplane and there's some bumps and the captain comes on? He's like, okay, everyone, it's time to freak out. (laughs) Start praying. And that's actually what happens. These cap- the captain of this boat, right, has tried everything. They've tried to steer. They've tried to row. And they come back to Jonah and they say, listen, uh, who are you? Where are you from? And maybe you might consider praying. 
And of course, that is the sad irony of the whole thing, is that here's a man who has walked with God, who's taught others likewise to walk with God, and the pagans, those who've never heard of the God of Israel, say, you know, maybe you could start praying. (laughs) They have to teach him, they have to tell him to pray, and as far as chapter 1 records for us, Jonah actually never did that. He says to them, if you know the story, he says, throw me into the sea, and the sea will calm down. They throw him into the sea. God appoints the fish to swallow him, and then chapter 2, verse 1, it says, then Jonah prayed. And what I tried to do as I prepared for the sermon is I tried to imagine uh, what it would have been like for Jonah. So not last week, but the week before we had this heat wave. Does anyone remember the heat wave? Right? So of course, what do you do in a heat wave? You go swimming. So I took my two older kids to go swimming at the Y, and we were really excited because I didn't have our babies with us, which meant I got to go in the deep pool. So I jump in the deep pool, and one of the first things that uh, my son says to me, he says, I'm going to go meditate at the bottom of the sea and pretend what it's like to be Jonah. (laughs) And I thought, you know, that's actually a great idea. You know, so I began to really uh, imagine what it would have been like for Jonah. And as I looked into this, it occurred to me that drowning is actually, from what I could tell, one of the most horrifying ways to lose your life. Uh, So the accounts that have been recorded is that when you drown, um, if you actually inhale water, which is one of the two ways you can drown, you can drown by just holding your breath and and that's it, right? You become unconscious. Or uh, if you're kind of freaking out, you go into the water and your body like involuntarily wants to breathe and so it sucks in water and it's described as daggers stabbing your lungs when that happens. And that's pretty terrifying uh, for us, but you have to understand that for an ancient man, for a man at the time of Jonah, the sea was in many ways the embodiment of chaos, right? So, for example, when you read in uh, Revelation chapter 21 about heaven, you know, the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, one of the things it says, and scholars will, will get at this when they uh, speak of it, it, it'll say, and there was no longer any sea. What some scholars uh, believe is that the reason it's saying that is because at the time of these men, the sea was the very embodiment of chaos. You know, and if you've been to the, if you've been on a boat, you know, in the ocean, we, we just went on a cruise to Bermuda uh, back in May, and I remember looking out and just being struck by how vast the sea is, and that's why our hymns and our worship songs, when it wants to, when they want to speak of vastness, there's like one metaphor, isn't there? It's the sea. And so here Jonah is, he's thrown into the sea, he's all alone, the sea's now calm, the boat's no doubt far away, and he's there alone, abandoned, abandoned to the chaos. And from that place, he, he writes this prayer. And friends, as we think about this, I wonder if any of you feel that way right now. Right, you're wondering, what, what in the world does this crazy story have to do with me? How many of you feel abandoned to the chaos? That, that you sit amongst a sea of chaos all alone, and, and perhaps as Jonah, you feel forsaken by God. Did you notice that with me in verse 4? He says, then I am driven away from your sight. Right? It's the idea of, you know, uh, uh, the witness is in the courtroom, and the witness longs for uh, the person who, you know, hurt him or her to be driven away and to never have to see them again. That's what Jonah feels like God has done to him. He feels like as he's floating there in the sea, as he's awaiting 
the water to cover his breathing passages as his strength will give out from treading or floating or whatever he's doing. He's saying, I've been forsaken by God. I'm driven away from your sight. And of course, as you know the story, um, God will appoint the fish and the fish will save Jonah, and this will be the, the prayer that he pens in response. And the very first thing that he wants to draw our attention to is that as he's descending in the chaos, as he's descending into the sea, as he's wondering when his bodily functions will terminate, when he will lose consciousness, or when he'll begin to feel those daggers stab at his lungs, he cries out to the Lord. And he says, in this, uh, what's really like a psalm almost, he says, you heard me. Did you notice that? I called out to the Lord out of my distress, verse one, and he, verse two, excuse me, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol, which by the way, Sheol is this Hebrew word that really gets at the idea of where you go when you die. So he's saying, when I was in the very depths of death itself, I cried out and God heard me. What's interesting about drowning, I learned this uh, recently, is that drowning is actually a very quiet way to go. So I read this story about this couple that was swimming in this lake, having a great time, and they see this man fully clothed out on the shore, running towards them, jumps into the water with all his clothes on, is swimming frantically toward them, and they're like, what in the world is this guy doing? And they're like, we're fine! <laughs> we're, we're fine! And he gets to them, and he pushes them out of his way, and they turn around to see their child who's in the process of drowning, not more than 10 feet from them. And they had no idea. Why? Because it's very quiet. You know, your lungs are otherwise occupied at the time when you're drowning. And here's Jonah, and he says, you know, even in all the quietness that's going on here, he says, I called to the Lord, and you heard me. And as he's uh, noticing, noting this, he uh, uses this language, um, verse 3, for example. He says, uh, you cast me into the deep in the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Surrounded is this military term. It gets that, you know, when you're in battle and the enemy has you entirely surrounded, it's time to wait, raise the white flag. It's time to come up with another strategy that would involve surrender. And as he's there, he says, God heard, heard me even as my life was fainting away. And I thought about this phrase, fainting away. Have you ever felt, have you ever felt as though your life was fainting away? You're in such a bad place. You're so far from God. You feel like things are so messed up that you might pen this words, I am fainting away. Things are, things are leaving my life at this time. I'm on this trajectory. That's where Jonah was. And he says, God, you heard me. And he will get at this reason of why is it that God heard me. And I want to point this out for you. It's very helpful. Let's go here. The reason that God heard Jonah is why? Because God had never left him. Even though he felt forsaken by God, God was very much there the entire time. Look at the text underlined, you cast me into the seas. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You see, as Jonah uh, lapped in the water, as he awaited his, his last breath, he realized there in that time that God was not absent in any way, that God was in control of all things. It reminds me of Psalm 139. Let me put this up for you. 
This is uh, one of my favorite psalms. Uh, The writer says this. He says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in shale, where did we hear that? You are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall take hold of me. So how many of you have either currently have or have raised, you know, two-year-olds? Anyone? God bless you. Thank you for your service. Um, So when you have two-year-olds and you go to the YMCA, and I've got four total, so I've got, you know, nine, six, three, three, and, and one. Um, what's the most dangerous part about visiting the Y? Does anyone know with a brood such as that? It's actually the parking lot. It's not the pool. The pool is easy. You got life vests on. You got lifeguards watching out. It's always it's a parking lot, right? Everyone's just frantic getting to the Y. It's packed out. There's no spaces. And so I have this routine when I have all four by myself. You know, I hold the one-year-old in my arm. The other two, I just yell at them constantly to, you know, stay close. But then the three-year-old, she's just turned three, you know, I keep her within uh, my arm's reach at all times because you never know when, you know, she's going to see something and dart out after it or if a car is going to be backing up that no one's noticed. And I, I keep my arm ready at all times to do what? To take hold of her, right? Even if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall take hold of me. You know, I don't negotiate. I don't say, you know, honey, this car is backing up. It's a little bit bigger than you. It might be wise if you would consider stopping and letting it go. You know, I don't make suggestions. I don't negotiate. I take hold. And what Jonah found out, what, the, what David wrote, you know, years before him, is that even if when you are in a place where you feel absolutely abandoned by God, where you feel left to the chaos where you feel like there is no justifiable cause for any degree of hope whatsoever, if you belong to God, you need to be assured in your soul this morning that God is there to take hold of you, to grab you, to keep you, to keep you from falling away, even by extraordinary means, right? So here's Jodah. He's in the middle of the chaos. And what does God say? He says, I'm going to appoint a fish to take you. Made me also think of uh, oops, get to that one uh, in a second, of Job 38. This is a part of Scripture where I've, uh, I've gone to in times of personal worship. Look at what uh, God says to Job. He says, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made cloud its, its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. John Piper tells a story about a man in his congregation whose son was just barely saved from a spinning propeller on a, on a boat of sorts. You know, and the father of this child, in their time of like corporate praises, he said, you are the God that says to spinning propellers, thus far you shall come and no farther. Even for the sea itself, here Jonah floats, laps, waits his death, and God says, no, you may not take him. I'm in charge. I uh, put this up on the screen, and maybe, can I get a volunteer to read? This is Psalm 23 in Hebrew, and the reason I have it in Hebrew 
is because you can notice some things in Hebrew poetry that aren't readily apparent in the English. And this word right here, I have it, uh, imadi, it's actually translated as a phrase here in, uh, in English, it's, forms the very center of the psalm, the exact middle of Psalm 23. Anyone know what it is? It's with me. You want to understand what Psalm 23 is about? It's that God is with me, even in the shadow, the valley of the shadow of death. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. My shepherd is with me. If you are in the chaos right now, if you feel abandoned to these things, you need to know that God is with you if you belong to Him. If you're one of His. That's what the psalmist saying, that's what Jonah found out. He said, God, you're with me. You're involved in the waves. You've been involved in every aspect. You're here. The question then comes, what in the world was God doing? Why in the world would God's will involve Jonah floating in the middle of the ocean only to be, you know, eaten by a fish and then subsequently vomited out on the dry land? Right? Or, you know, why is it that sometimes God's sheep need to go through the valley of the shadow of death? You know, what in the world is God doing? And the answer, I think, in Jonah is in verse 8. I'm going to leave this up on the screen for a time. As Jonah is uh, meeting with God in the belly of the fish, he pens this statement that I think unlocks the entire thing. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. You see, I would submit to you this morning that Jonah's experience that included the belly of the fish, that included the sea and all of its chaos, was God's pursuit of Jonah. Why and for what? An answer, to pry away his fingers from the idols that he was clutching so closely. See, this will come, become clear as you go through the book. Jonah would not have God's will. He said, God, I, he'll say this in chapter 4, God, I know that know that you would show grace to these people whom I hate, called the Ninevites, and I would have none of it. And he clung to that so tightly that he ran from the Lord. And what he found out in the events that would uh, ensue is that uh, God will work and will act in your life in such a way as to expose the vanity of idols. We don't use this word vanity quite in the same way uh, anymore. The, The idea is empty, right? Vain idols. The idea is that idols have an illusion of something that's not actually there. There's no substance. And I, in my little bit of experience pastoring, I've really yet to meet more than one person who goes home and bows down to a creature. Does anyone do that? (laughs) Right? Anyone, if you go home and say, ah, I've got this creature. I'm going to go bow down to it. I met one person that's done that many years ago, or used to do it before he became a Christian. So, what does this mean, you know, those who uh, pay regard to vain idols? Does this happen anymore? Are we just kind of grown out of this? Well, I would submit to you that an idol is something or someone that you look to for the salvation that only God can give. And when I'm using that word salvation, I'm not thinking, oh, I'll go to heaven when I die. I'm thinking the things that you long for in the depths of your soul so passionately, 
right? We all have longings. And oftentimes we will look to something or someone other than God, sometimes something or someone who's really in contradiction to God, to give us those things that we long for. I, uh, I've really been helped by this book called The Meaning of Marriage. Has anyone read this book? Tim Keller, Meaning of Marriage. It, even if you just read the introduction, if you are married or think someday you ever will be married, would plead with you to go read this introduction. I've read a bunch of marriage books um, and uh, found this one to be just absolutely unique. One of the things that Keller points out as he says, you know, why is it that marriage is so unsuccessful these days, right? The divorce rate is so high. Uh, our culture seems to have been to have given up on marriage. When you watch shows, right, when you watch the shows that are popular nowadays, it's really very rare for someone to be married in the show, isn't it? Right? Most of the time, people are hooking up, and, you know, there's only occasionally someone who's married. Well, one of the arguments that Keller puts forth uh, really comes from a man named Thomas Becker, who, as far as I know, is not a Christian, but he wrote this book called The The Denial of Death back in the 70s. And look at what he said. He says, the love partner becomes the divine ideal within which to fulfill one's life. All spiritual and moral needs now become focused in one individual. In one word, the love object is God. And what Keller will argue, and even what Becker will argue, is that part of why marriage is so incredibly unsuccessful is that our culture has made a shift from viewing marriage as a partnership by which to establish stable families to the way in which all of my needs and my deepest longings are fulfilled, focused in on one person, and that person better be God himself. Otherwise, it's doomed to fail. And so what Keller has pointed out is that, you know, this... This reality has caused, first of all, no mate to be suitable for this task. Number one. Number two, when you find someone you think is suitable, you become profoundly disappointed. And so, uh, one kind of common idol in our day and age is actually other people, right? We focus on another person and say, you will meet my needs. You will fulfill the deepest longings of my soul. And what Scripture says is if you're doing that this morning, that you are worshiping a, an idol that cannot deliver. And in Jonah's uh, comments, he contrasts this with this word steadfast. Now, this word steadfast is really fun to say in Hebrew. It's the only time in church that you get to spit on each other, and it's okay. It's this uh, very guttural word. It's called chesed. So everyone, yeah, <laughs> I won't do that. It's chesed. And there's really no other word like it. And it's used all throughout the Old Testament, oftentimes translated steadfast. It's the idea of God's love that flows from his covenant. It's the love that is the product of the promise, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. If you dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there I won't be done with you. Even there I'll take hold of you. There's no extent to which you can run from me that I will not chase after you. It's the idea of love that will, that is unrelenting. Our children's Bible says it's the never stopping, never giving up, always and forever love. And what God is doing for Jonah as Jonah runs from him is he's saying, I'm going to show you the difference between my chesed covenant love and the illusion of the idols that you're clinging to. And for you, perhaps, maybe it's not a person, maybe it's a, a position 
that you're longing for. Maybe it's, um, you know, something financial. Maybe it's something in family. Maybe it's having a family. What God would say to you this morning is that if you are banking your life on something other than Him and His promises, that you are banking your life on an illusion that has no substance whatsoever. And if you belong to God this morning and you're doing that, you need to know that it is in God's character to pursue you and to win you back to Himself, sometimes through extraordinary means, like the ones mentioned here, sometimes more gently, but that's who He is. You see, we've titled this sermon series, The Pursuit of God, which is the name of a great book. Anyone ever read The Pursuit of God? A.W. Tozer, right? It's about how we pursue God and through devotion and scripture, worship, prayer. But what Jonah is about is actually the exact opposite. It's how God pursues you. He is the God that pursues. And friends, what scripture will tell us is that he does that so that you would trust him. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, chapters, uh, verses 8 and 9, Paul writes this. He says to the church that he's speaking to, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But listen to this. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, friends, if you, are, if you belong to God and you're brought to a place of despair, you're brought to a place that, that you, don't, you don't know that it's possible at all to get through, what is God doing? Answer, He wants you to trust not in yourselves, but in the God who raises the dead whom we have worshipped this morning. That is what he's up to. That is what he was up to with Jonah. And most profoundly and most powerfully, that is what he was up to in his son, the Lord Jesus. You see, what I'm saying would be fairly horrifying that, you know, God will pursue me even by way of, uh, (laughs) you know, the sea and the billows and the fish, kind of some scary stuff. That would be really, truly horrifying if it were not for one thing. And that is the Lord Jesus. You see, what Scripture will bear out is that God was always pursuing His people. He was pursuing them in uh, the time in the desert. He was pursuing them through David. He was pursuing them through Solomon. But all these means were unsuccessful until Jesus comes. And He says, I'm here and there's one sign that I will give (laughs) that I'm someone you should listen to. What is that sign? Anyone remember? It's the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days, so the Son of Man will be in the ground three days. And what we see in the Lord Jesus is we see the extent to which God will pursue you. God says, I will pursue my people even at the cost of my only Son, whom I treasure more than anything in this world. He who did not spare his own Son but delivered us, him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You see, when Jesus comes... He comes as God's statement, this is how much I love you. This is how much I'm willing to pursue you. These are the lengths at which I will go. And therefore, friends, that means that you can trust him. For someone who would do that, someone who would give that can be trusted. You see, God is not only sovereign and in control, 
who does not have just authority over all of the waves in your life right now, all of the billows saying, this far you shall go in Darren's life, not one millimeter farther. Sometimes that's unpleasant. What Scripture says is, but he can be trusted. He's good. Look at what he did. Look at the Lord Jesus freely giving up his life. So friends, as we uh, conclude this sermon this morning, I want to just ask you, is there something that you're clinging to this morning besides God himself? Are there vain idols in your life where if you were truly honest, you would say, I bank everything on this happening. I bank everything on this person receiving me, giving themselves to me. I bank everything on this job. I bank everything on this position, on this possession, on this person. If you are in that place this morning, allow this word to plead with you to let go to release the grip and to say, God, I belong to you and therefore I will receive your good gifts, but I will not cling to them as though they are my salvation because I belong to you and you will, you will do what you will with me. I will worship you. Let me pray for you to this end. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, you are a good God and you have pursued us and we are yours. And Lord, we see that most beautifully and most powerfully in the Lord Jesus. Uh, Lord, he came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. He came with peace in his heart, was met with violence and death. The scriptures tell us that the one who died has been raised. The one who suffered has ascended on high, the lamb upon the throne and is now interceding for us all. And oh, how we want to worship him this morning. Oh, how we want to give him everything. Oh, how we want to release the grip uh, that we have on uh, the things in our lives that are not able to deliver. And how we want to walk with you through all the crazy places you take us as your children. Lord, I pray for everyone who's gathered here this morning. I pray that you would be so gracious to them. Be gracious to us. Lead us. Uh, in the everlasting way. Release the grip that we have and allow us to grip only to you. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.